This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Atlanta. defined by grace, grace, grace community, community, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have you ever been on a trip or getting ready to go on a trip, either with family or maybe a school field trip, and you're waiting with anticipation, you just can't wait to go. And so the adults or the the parental units have told you, hey, listen, we're gonna leave, but in a little while. And you're asking, when are we going? When are we going? And they just respond, a little while. Maybe uh, you finally take off and you get on that bus or you get in the van or in the car with the parents, and, uh, and while you're driving onto that, you guys are on your way to that destination, and you're tempted to ask the question, okay, like, how long before we get there? Are we there yet? And typically that response can, can be in a little while. And then when you get to that destination, depending on how you feel about how the time has gone, either you've loved it so much and you're dreading having to leave, or you hate it so much and you can't wait to leave, and you still are moved to ask that same question, that question, are we leaving? When are we leaving? When is it time to go? Maybe you don't want to go and you're like counting the, the minutes that you still have, or maybe you're counting down and you ask, when are we leaving? And you get that response in a little while. How long, when you're in that situation and you're either dreading leaving or you're just, you can't wait to leave, you're looking at the clock and you're wondering, how long do I have to be here? Or how long do I get to stay here? How long? And then ultimately you get this answer in a little while, in a while, it'll change soon. We're we're leaving in a bit. What is this uh, undetermined period of time that we call a little while or a little bit or in a while? What is that? What is that? What does that mean? And then when you think a little bit further into that, depending on what you're going through, this is something that we ask ourselves now, right? Depending on what we're going through, depending on what we're feeling, depending on what we're enduring, that those words might not be very comforting. Think about it. Maybe you are uh, in a great place in life and you, there are some things that are sure to come that are going to be so great. And so you have this impatient expectancy, almost a child, childlike expectancy that's like, I can't wait. When is that thing coming? When is it coming? When is it coming? When is it coming? It'll be here in a minute. It'll be here in a bit, right? So maybe there's, we're in parts of our lives where that's the case. Things are going well and we're just looking forward to the next great thing. And maybe we're in a different place. Maybe we're in a place where we're hoping for something, longing for something, agonizing over something to change, waiting with this bated breath that just says, I need something to change soon. And I keep hearing that something's going to change soon. Something's going to happen in a little while, but I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know when that change is coming. I don't have a specifically codified amount of time that equates to this little while. So how long? We see that throughout the scriptures. How many times are people crying out to God saying, how long, O Lord? How long must we wait? How long must we suffer? Today, I would imagine that many of you, like me, are in that place. Many of you, like me, you look at what we're facing with this 
pandemic, what we're facing with this coronavirus. And we're told, hey, eventually we'll get there. Eventually there'll be a vaccine or eventually people will find immunity any number of ways. Eventually we'll get there. Well, how long? How long is a while? How long do we wait? How long do we agonize? How long do we watch people pass away? How long do we watch people get sick? How long do we watch uh, things affect us economically, emotionally, and even spiritually? How long? Or when we look at uh, the evidence of the unspeakable injustices that undocumented immigrants are facing in this country and have been for, for so long, how long? How long do we watch those horrific things happen? How long do we have to hear about families being torn apart? How long do we have to hear about children being put in cages? How long is is a little while? How long until things actually change? Or when we're seeing the countless stories of women who have been victimized by sexual assault without any real justice, And I can tell you just for some of the women that have shared their lives with me, I've heard some of those cries. How long? You almost get to a place where you're you're seared and you're cold and almost you can't even feel anymore because you almost just expect, well, it's going to be even longer. It's not really going to change. People have been asking how long for decades, for centuries. We just are another group of folks that are going to continue to wait because this it'll change in a little while. Just be patient. How long is too long? And we have all been seeing, again, numerous examples of racial injustice in this country. If you're watching this during this weekend, this is the weekend that uh, is the 65th anniversary of the brutal killing of Emmett Till. The brutal lynching of a young black boy. And we are living in a country right now where all you need is a camera to see some of the same types of sentiments being expressed, the same type of pain being shared, the same type of callous overlooking and denial of of an image bearer's dignity. We are seeing the same thing right now, 65 years later. How long do we wait? How long is a little while? Our text today doesn't even answer that question. How long is a little while? What it does answer is what do we do in the little while? What do we do when we're in this place where we're just constantly reminded of what is broken and we're constantly reminded of what is wrong and we're constantly reminded of what is heartbreaking, constantly reminded of what's wrong with things without and constantly reminded of what's wrong within? What do we do in the little while? And Jesus gives us a look at and, and, and really a principle that we have to hold on to in order to really bring peace and to truly see the only person that matters. So let's read John 16, verses 16 through 33. Uh, we're going to spend most of our time in the last eight verses, but for context purposes, we're going to read through the whole text and we're going to dig a little bit deeper. And what do we do in the little while. Remember, this is ever since chapter 13, we've been in Jesus's last words to his disciples. So he's been preparing them while they're in the little while and preparing them for the little while. He's been spending time giving those last words. A lot of people would say a person's last words are often their most important. 
if they're conscious and they're thinking through and they feel the need to give you almost parting words, these are the words I need you to hold on to in my absence. So for the last several chapters, Jesus has been walking through these final words, right? From the upper room, through these various discourses that he's having, he's been sharing these things that they need to hold on to. And he's gonna tell us why he shared those words in a little bit. So keep that in your mind. Jesus has been saying some crazy things, outlandish things. These are the things that he gave them so that they can hold on to those things in the little while. So let's read uh, chapter 16, starting at verse 16. A little while and you will no longer see me. Again, a little while and you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he's telling us? A little while and you will not see me again a little while and you will see me and because I'm going to the father they said what is this he's saying a little while we don't know what he's talking about Jesus knew they wanted to ask him and so he said to them are you asking one another about what I said a little while and you will not see me again a little while and you will see me truly I tell you you will weep and mourn but the world will rejoice you will become sorrowful but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she's given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. In that day, you will not ask me anything. Truly, I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. Now, I've spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. On that day, you will ask in my name, and I'm not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father, and I've come into the world. Again, I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, look, now you're speaking plainly and not using uh, any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. Jesus responded to them, do you now believe? Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I've conquered the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This text is, is, is powerful and this text can be really confusing at first because it, like, like Jesus is wont to do, there are many times where you think he's getting ready to give what we would de describe as encouraging words. But on the surface, some of these words may not seem very encouraging. To start with, hey, this is what it is. I'm leaving in a little bit. You guys don't quite get it, uh, but I'm going to tell you this is what you need to hold on to in my absence. Here's some bad things that are getting ready to come and befall you. And here are the things that I'm going to do to kind of encourage you. I'm going to point out the ways in which you're going to fail. These, this is not the normal way that we would encourage anybody. But Jesus realizes and he knows why 
that is the most encouraging for us. So let's walk through this for a minute. The first few verses, 16 through 24, um, we're not going to spend a ton of time there because a lot of that is ways in which Jesus is doing what he's always done, spoken in parables, spoken in riddles, used uh, some of these kind of figurative uh, and met- fig- uh, figurative uh, language, metaphors, allegories to be able to paint a picture for them. He knows they don't get it now. It's really not going to be for years until they really are able to look back and go, oh, that's what he meant, which is really what it is to walk with Jesus, isn't it? You start, that's the reason why your entire Christian walk isn't completed just by learning about him, even believing in him. There are many things about what Jesus says that we need to be fully clear, uh, clarified and elucidated years later, decades later. We look back and go, now I understand what that meant. Now I understand, not necessarily just what it meant. I understand how that really applies in my own life. I understand how that applies in my own growth. I understand what it points out about me. And I understand what it points out about God. So they don't understand a lot of what's being said. They've complained about it throughout John. Many times they don't get what he's saying. They're scratching their head. They're kind of following him, but they really don't follow him. And Jesus realizes that. It's important that he keeps pointing that out because on some level, we've got to know that we don't have what it takes to, to, to grasp and apprehend the truth on our own. And so Jesus knows that. But anyhow, look, look at what, what he says. He starts out by saying, a little while, and you're no longer going to see me. Again, a little while, you will see me. Now, throughout these first uh, few verses, roughly eight or nine verses, uh, he's walking through to kind of let them know, listen, in a little while, there's going to be some real uncertainty again. You already have some uncertainty. There's some other things that's going to happen. There are things that are getting ready to, to happen that are going to cause you to really wonder. They're going to cause you to possibly even question your faith in me. They're going to cause you to wonder what's getting ready to happen. That is all of us. What do we do when the uncertainty is right in front of us? What do we do when even certain doom or dread is in front of us? He knows they're going to face it because they're human. We're human. Jesus knows what it means to have those human feelings and emotions. So, So he's looking at them and he's talking to them and he's saying, here's what's getting ready to happen. Some things are coming. You guys don't quite get it, but it's coming. But I don't want you to be overcome by the things that are coming. Because that's often what we do. Either I know certain doom is coming or I'm dreading an uncertain doom that's coming. And I think that the thing that's coming will overtake me. But what he's saying is you don't have to be overcome by the things that are coming because I've already overcome it. And so in, in this case, you're looking at uh, these, uh, him kind of laying out in this kind of flowery, poetic language to let them see some things are coming and it's coming uh, quickly and you're not going to know. In a little while, you're not going to see me. And in a little while, you will see me. I know that language is hard for you to get. That's what he's saying. I know you don't quite get what I mean by that. So let me use this picture. It's much like a woman in childbirth and there's incredible pain and, and incredible suffering and all these things that happen. But the moment that that child comes, the the mother is just so overcome with joy and love for this child that she's able to look back and go, wouldn't recommend that suffering. However, I am so thankful that I have this child here. And he's using that picture to get them to maybe understand a little bit of what he's getting ready to explain. And he's if you think about what he's saying, he's really pointing out, listen, you know, in a few chapters, we're going to see him get arrested. We're going to see his death. We're going to see all these things start to come. But they don't quite get it yet. And he's like, some things are getting ready to happen right now that are going to be really hard. And then I'm going to be gone. And then I'm going to come back. And when I come back, you're going to have the kind of joy that can't be taken from you. We'll touch on that in a little bit. 
And so they, all of that happens, and he says all this, and he says, I'm telling you all this stuff, and I'm telling you at, at one point, when that comes, when that kind of joy happens, you'll ask the Father uh, uh, anything in my name, and you'll get it. And we've talked about that before. We'll hint at, hint at it again. And so all of that gets laid out. They still don't get it. They're still scratching their head. They're still kind of wondering. And so this is where in verse 25, where I really want to spend our time, this is where he comes in and he says, listen, I've spoken these things to you in figures of speech, but a time is coming. And it's even here right now that I am not going to speak to you in figures. I'm going to tell you plainly about the father. I'm not going to use the language that I did before, because guess what? Time is fleeting. And right now I want you to, to have the real. I want you to, to, to hear plainly what this is. I'm going to take away any ambiguity that you could ever claim to say, I didn't quite get it or I didn't know. That whole like ignorance of the law is no excuse. He's like, I'm going to make sure you know for sure what I'm saying. And he says, on that day, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you about the Father. I'm going to tell you plainly about the Father. And on that day, you will ask in my name. And I love this. And I'm not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because, you're lo- because you've loved me and, I, and have believed that I came from God. Now, this is really important because up until this point, Jesus has indeed been talking the way that kind of an arbiter or, or, or in, in someone in arbitration would function. I am kind of acting in your stead. I'm acting as a go-between, an intermediary, which Jesus is. And he's like, but guess what? There's going to be a time that comes. Right? And he's really talking about his resurrection. When they see and believe the re- resurrection, there's going to be a time that comes when that joy that can't be taken from you, it's, it's, it's taken root. Right, The belief in me, my life, my death, and my resurrection is going to take root so that no matter what comes, come what may, heaven, hell, the worst of it, any of the things that happen on this earth that come that you're afraid of, that you're dreading, that joy is going to take root in such a way that nothing will, will rob you of it. Nothing will take you uh, out of my hand. Nothing will make you doubt my love for you. Nothing will make you doubt the Father's love for you. And it won't even be because I'm just going out and speaking just on your behalf. The Father's going to love you because you've loved me. The Father's going to love you because you've been rooted in me. And because the father loves me so much, he loves anybody else who loves me that much or not that much, but who loves me at all. Anyone who truly loves me and follows me, albeit imperfectly, the father loves. And so you can know and hold on without any shadow of any doubt that in the midst of all the suffering you see, in the midst of all the things that are coming directly toward you or the things that are evidently happening just in the world, You don't have to worry, does God love me? Does God have a plan for me? Is God rescuing me? Is God rescuing us? And so he makes it clear to them again. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. This is harkening back to what John told us in the very first chapter. When he said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And you get down to verse 14 and it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then he further goes and we saw him and we hung out with him and we ate with him and we danced with him. And we did. We went to weddings. He put on a crazy party. I mean, they're basically saying we saw God. We lived and walked and ate and listened and were corrected by God in the flesh. We're convinced that had to be God. And Jesus is reminding them this is really the most important verse in all of this. Everything about Jesus' life gets summed up right here. Right here in verse 28, I came from the Father and I've come into the world. Again, I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. 
They've got to believe this. It's important that they truly believe this. You know, it's interesting when we think through how important truth is, even in the midst of our fears and our suffering and our curiosity, truth is vitally important. It's so important that we remember what's true and hold on to what's true, because oftentimes our fears are most stoked by what is false. The things that we get worried about, the anxiety that we have, many times it's because we start believing lies. And those lies give incredible fuel to the flames of faithlessness. And so now, all of a sudden, I've got to go back and go, okay, I have this fear, I have this uncertainty, there might be something really bad coming, what is true that I can hold on to? What do I need to hold on to right now? And it can't just be uh, some things that can give me temporary relief. You know, if you were to go on uh, Google right now and, uh, and type in, like, how can I find peace? How can I find uh, uh, real peace, real calmness, right? Most times when you do it, you'll see a lot of kind of subheadings that pop up. It'll even start trying to autofill, an auto, auto add-in or whatever they call it, autocomplete, the things you're uh, typing in. And it'll say things like, how do I find inner peace? That'll come up the most. Inner peace. What is implied in that? If I want to find inner peace, I need to find something within that will help give me some degree of relief for the things that are causing real conflict, right, internally. And maybe there's something I can find, maybe there's something I can find on the outside that will help me deal with what's happening on the inside to find this inner peace. So often, though, when you do that, you'll get things like, well, You've got to uh, find time to, 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 I, to, to connect with the inner person and find time to connect with your inner self. And usually it's almost like this idea of this better self, right? Connect with the better part of you. Don't believe the things that, in, that, that would give you the impression that there's this horrible side of you, right? And so there are things that are good. Some things that, that you'll see happen, good. Spend time breathing, important, meditate, focus, get yourself mindfulness. Those things have their place, right? Good stretching, I'm really trying to start to do more of that. Journaling, getting your thoughts out. Though all those things are great things. They're not bad things, but when they become the ultimate things, you start falling into kind of a self-serving way of finding peace, and that never works. It'll work temporarily, but it'll never be sustainable because now, all those things I've done, they may have given me temporary relief, but now the pressure's on me to have to find a way for those things to keep working over and over and over again. Eventually, ain't enough journaling in the world for me to, find, to get to a place where I'm like, all right, I'm fully restored. There's not enough breathing in the world that can make me fully at peace internally. There's not enough meditating in the world that's gonna get me there, right? Because look, there are people doing that right now, and what do we see? We still see horrendous carnage all outside of us. And we have, if we're honest with ourselves, there's all kinds of things happening within us too. Sometimes the things that unnerve us, the things that undo us, are just the responses that we have to the things that are happening horribly. It's not like they're all bad. It's not like there's all these negative, evil inputs that are making us do this. Sometimes it's a, a good reaction. We're frustrated by what we see and we're so overwhelmed. And I don't know about you, but for me, I, I just get to a place where I don't, I just can't take it anymore. Right now, I'm at a place where I am, I feel so overwhelmed with just the enormity of what is broken around us. I feel like there's, what, what can we do? And if you're a person like me who's just like, I just want to find a solution, find a solution, 
that will completely exhaust you. Because ultimately there's nothing, right? I can't just do one thing that's gonna solve it. And now I gotta figure out, okay, I need to be, able, I care about it, but how do I care for myself? How do I make sure that I'm not in this unhealthy space? How do I make sure that like my anger, even righteous anger, doesn't turn into like this unhealthy, eroding bitterness? How do I do that? See, that's what peace is. How do I have a peace that says my heart is operating the way it was meant, the way it was oriented, the way it was designed to function? If I've got real harm or danger that's come, yes, things are out, the, the peace that's supposed to be there isn't there, right? If I'm looking at things that are not the way they should be, yes, my heart is no longer at peace. I've got to figure out what, what to do. The problem is I can't figure out what to do. There is no inner peace when it's just me determining how to find inner peace. And so we're sitting, Jesus knows this for them. They're getting ready to have hearts that are going to be completely wrecked. They're getting ready to have minds that are like questioning everything, wondering what's happening, wondering who Jesus really was and who Jesus is to them in that moment. And so when he says these things, I'm, I come from the Father, I'm going back to the Father. And he says these things about himself and he just says it plain. Here's what I was sent to do. Here's, what I'm, here's where I'm going back. Here's who I am going back to. And they finally get to this place where they, they think they get it. And they're using words to, to, to almost talk themselves into faithfulness, which will do. They're no, no different than us. And they do the best they can with what they have. At that moment, when they hear the words that he said and they go, Ah, okay, we, we get it. You came from the Father. You came here. You're going back to the Father. We get it. Look at what they said in verse 29. His disciples said, look, now you're speaking plainly and not using any of that figurative language. Now we know that you know everything. By this we know you came from God. Now, I don't know what it was about these words that made them all of a sudden have this kind of, you know, put that extra bass in their voice and this barrel chested, full throated endorsement of really believing that Jesus is who he said he was. Because ultimately, Jesus knows that they don't even know enough about their own faithlessness to know that they can't mean what they what they think they mean. Right. And he kind of points that out because he said to them, oh, so, and it's almost there's, there's a sarcasm in this that I love. It says, oh, do you now believe? Really? You really believe? Well, indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. Now, this isn't just like a, an indictment. This isn't, I think sometimes we can think that Jesus is like trying to slam them. But in many ways, this is such a gracious part of this story. Because in many ways, what Jesus is saying is, listen, I hear you and you mean well. It's almost like a bless your heart kind of moment. You're saying that you believe me. You're saying that you want to follow me. You're saying these things and your words are really precious. They're just so sweet. But in all actuality, you're going to leave me. In other words, I know that you want to be able to serve me. I know what is your intention to be able to follow me, but I know that you're incapable of doing it on your own. In many ways, he's like, I'm taking the pressure off of you to try to muster up faithfulness on your own because you can't do it. The faithfulness you need is something that's gonna have to be deposited in you, not acquired by you. There's nothing you can do. You can hear my words, 
And I'm just giving you these words, not because they're going to really do anything for you right now, but in eventually you'll be able to look back on these words and the faith that I've deposited in you will be grown. It will be stoked. Those flames will begin to just completely spread out and you will really begin to truly grow and your faith will begin to grow and your joy will be sustained. But they don't know that now. So he's pointing it out. Think about this. When you're in the middle of suffering or you're in the middle of worrying and you're listening to the last words of this person and they, in many ways, their parting words to you are, by the way, you're going to fail me. Bye. That, that doesn't seem like that would be very encouraging at all. But Jesus realizes just how encouraging that'll be because it really takes, again, it takes the pressure off. They don't have to get to this place where they're like, okay, Jesus gave us the checklist on how to be faithful. He gave us the checklist on how to, how to create faith in ourselves. When we're really, really down and scared, he told us like the mantra to say so that we can like almost fake faith again. Many times that's what we're doing, right? Many times that's the pressure that we feel under, especially when we're around other Christians who are good at faking faithfulness too. Then it's like, well, let me just fall in line. How do I fake faithfulness well so that I don't look like the faithless one? And so Jesus is pointing it out and saying, I hear you, but you're going to leave me. Your faithlessness is going to be on display. But I love you anyway. I love you. I've called you. I've chosen you. And so if I've called you into faithfulness, then I'm going to be the one that inculcates that faithfulness in you. I'm going to be the one that brings that out in you. I love you too much to leave you faithless. I found you faithless, but I won't leave you that way. And so when he says uh, this hour is coming and has come, so they're faithless now even, the hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home. You're going to run the other way, which we're going to see in a few chapters. And you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the father is with me. You know, he's teaching them something here, something they don't get now. But they, many of them are going to get later. He's saying in the same way that I'm looking at your faithlessness and in the same way that my eyes would tell me that I'm alone, my connection to the Father is so strong that I know he's with me. He has shown and demonstrated his love for me. And Jesus wants us to know that same thing. Jesus wants us. What he did was he brought the father to us. He brought us in relationship to the father so that when our eyes see things around us, like we're seeing right now, that makes us feel horribly despondent, that makes us feel utterly hopeless, that makes us feel alone. I'm seeing things happen and I'm losing people. I'm seeing people die. I'm seeing people suffer. I'm seeing people uh, 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 perpetuate acts of, of hatred. I'm seeing people deal with things that ought not be. In many ways, I'm seeing all the ways in which the world I live in does not emulate the kingdom that should be here and the kingdom that's coming. And it breaks my heart. And when I see that and I'm like, Lord, where are you? God, I'm seeing all this suffering. I'm seeing all these things. God, where are you? That's where they were. They were getting ready to watch the one guy that they had been following. They had left whatever their careers were. They had left families. They had left all their lives behind to follow this man. They thought it was a good investment. And now their eyes are showing them, hey, you've, you're alone. Because the guy that, that you've been following, they're snuffing him out. And you're alone, which is what they eventually did. They scattered. What do we do when we're afraid? We run. 
What do we do when we feel alone? We run to a place where we think we might find community. And it often is away from God. Jesus knows that's where they're going. And he says, you're going to scatter and you're going to leave me alone, ostensibly. You're going to leave me alone that in a way that's apparent to the human eye. But I know that I won't be alone because I will be with the Father. And he's giving that to us. He wants you to know that even when your eyes tell you you're alone, you're not. Even when your ears give you reason to believe that as you listen around you, you don't hear the footsteps of the people that have your best interest in heart, you're not alone. Even when you are longing for companionship and you're longing to have people around that are for you, and in the moment they're not there, he wants you to know you're not alone. And so when Jesus responds in this way, this is why he can say in the very next verse, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. How in the world is telling people, you're getting ready to fail me and leave me alone, but I want you to feel encouraged? Why would that be encouraging to anyone? The reason why it's encouraging is because he's saying, I tell you these things so that you realize that your faithfulness is going to be wrapped up in me, not you. Your faithfulness, your ability to have real joy, your ability to have real peace is going to be wrapped up in what I've accomplished, not what you accomplish. And so when you start putting more trust in what I'm doing and what I'm going to do for you, as opposed to what you've done or what you hope to do or what you haven't been able to do, you then will be able to have a joy and a peace that goes beyond anything people can understand. And it's a joy that no one can take from you, not even loneliness, not even a lack of companionship. This is not to say that those things are, are, are not things that should be mourned because they are to be mourned. These, this is not to say that we're, we're to find ways to just like ignore the things that are harmful or ignore the things that give us, uh, that make us uh, a struggle in our faith. He's not saying that at all. What he's saying is acknowledge and hold on to the things that might uh, uh, be an attack on your faith or may give you reasons for doubt or may even give you uh, uh, reasons where you can see real faithlessness in your life. Acknowledge those. Don't hide from those things. Don't just go oh to get better and just ignore it. No, you can sit in that. But at the same time, you can hold on to this joy and this peace, this peace that is here and not quite fully realized. Theologians call it this already not yet principle. There's a joy that's here and there's a joy that's going to be fully realized. I've told you these things so that in me you will have peace. There was a book that was written uh, several years ago called uh, America Tells the Truth or When America Told the Truth. And in the book, uh, the, the author kind of points out several statistics uh, about the way people view themselves. And I believe one of the statistics show that uh, men typically think, 80% of men in America typically think that they are uh, more attractive than the average guys around them. <laughs> So in most cases, men, because we have incredible inflated egos, uh, men oftentimes believe if they're in a room, they think that they're attractive, that more attractive than most of the guys around them, right? And throughout the book, it shows something that plays out called the self-serving bias. People typically think much more highly about themselves. In other words, they, they attribute the good things in their life to things they did, and the bad things that happen in their life, they attribute that to external influences. So it's like, well, of course, I'm typically, I'm more attractive than most guys around here. So if they're not, if they're not sweating me, 
there must be something wrong with them, right? Clearly, if that person isn't responding to me, and this is where that entitlement comes in, because clearly I'm God's gift to most people. And if you don't see it, that's a you problem. Now, yes, that's a hilarious example. It's, it's sadly true. But on a deeper level, this is really how we function. We have this high view of ourselves. Even the disciples likely had this higher view of themselves to go, we have what it takes to, to, to apprehend the truth of who you are. We have what it takes to truly be able to love and follow you. I have what it takes to be able to, to, to bring myself real peace. I know what it is to be able to do that. I don't want to believe that I don't have the tools as necessary. Oftentimes we struggle with being told that we don't have it together. Sometimes because people use that abusively, for sure. And sometimes it's just something we need to be able to wrestle with. And it shouldn't be something that takes away joy. It's like, you know what? Jesus was right. Yep, that, I, that's, that's, that's true about me. That area of brokenness is still there. That area of running away and scattering, I do that. I'm seeing the ways in which I'm prone to hide and pretend because I'm prone to scatter. The hymn writer said prone to wander, right? Those things are, are there. There's a battle constantly. And so the first thing I have to realize is it's not about my own individual effort in order to, to, to bring that about, right? There's effort on my part that's empowered by the truth of who Jesus is. But there's a difference, right, between the effort and the earning. If I think it's about earning, then I completely fall apart. If I think it's about earning in order to be able to have that real peace, then I'm going to try to earn my own inner peace any number of ways. It's not that it's not legitimate why I need to look for inner peace, right? Or whatever we call it. I'm seeing the brokenness around. I've been affected by the brokenness around. I'm so scared about what's coming. I'm so disappointed about what's in front of me. All those things are super heavy and, I, and, I'm, and I'm overwhelmed by it. So I do have a reason to look for something, but be careful that we don't confuse the effort that's empowered by the Spirit of God with the earning that can only be empowered by our own frail, fallible effort, fallible spirit, fallible mentality. Jesus ends by saying this, these, these disciples that have been walking with him, following him, listening to him, he's just shown them that their own uh, effort won't be enough to be able to follow him well but he says, I want you to have peace. I'm telling you these things so that you'll have real peace. You'll know exactly where it is that your hope is. And then he says, you will have suffering in this world. You will have suffering in this world. I, I can't imagine somebody saying, hey, I wanna give you some words of peace. I wanna give you some things that are gonna give you real peace. By the way, it's gonna get really awful for you. Those things just seem so incongruous, right? There's just no, you, you, they're so discordant. You, you can't really understand why, you know, if you're gonna bring me something that's gonna give me real peace, give me some good news. But you're telling me that I'm gonna have suffering in this world. Why are they gonna have suffering in this world? Because they're gonna to get to a place where they have to stand for the things that their savior stood for. Even when the world that they live in stands against it, right? Which is where we have to be at times. There will be suffering. If I want to stand for what it means to love my neighbor as myself, or even further, love my neighbor the way Jesus loves me, but the world or the political environment around me says, no, we will not love people this way. I stand up and there are people standing against and it's overwhelming. It's, it feels overbearing. 
We have to be careful that even in the good things that we do, we're not doing that by our own human effort either. But at the end of the day, he says, if you're standing for me, which they're going to eventually do, you're going to have suffering in this world. Then he says, be courageous. Some versions say, take heart. And this, and this, and this, uh, this word, this Greek phrase, it literally means um, dare to believe and obey what I'm giving you. Dare to believe and obey what I'm sharing with you. In other words, have the, I mean, it's, it's interesting to say like, some of the things I'm telling you to do feel outlandish and outrageous. I've just told you to love people in a way that society says you shouldn't. I've just told you to love people in a way that the culture says you shouldn't. So when you love people that way, things are gonna come. When you love people in a way that challenges power structures, things are gonna come. When you share my love, this radical love that upsets the apple cart of so many people who have a lust for maintaining and attaining power, they're gonna come for you. But take heart, be courageous, dare to believe that I have you that I hold you. Why? Because I have conquered the world. Some versions say I have overcome the world. Remember what we said? You don't get over You don't get overwhelmed by the things that are coming at you because there's one who's already overcome it for you. There's this sense in which we've got to understand Jesus at this last point. We've got to understand Jesus, not just as our savior. He is our savior. He has rescued us, right? But we also have to look at him as our victor. There's this sense in which Jesus saying, I have conquered the world. What he's saying is, I have laid out what it truly means to love people in a way the world does not. And my love truly does overcome the ways in which they don't love. See, a lot of times we could be like, man, I just don't know where God is because I'm seeing so many things happen that's horrible. Uh, How long do we have to wait for things that have been just so horrible and heart-wrenching? I see it all the time where I'm feeling it or I'm going through things in my own life that makes me go, Lord, how long the things in this world are making me feel like you're not there. Jesus says, take heart, be courageous, believe, dare to believe, even in the midst of your eyes, your ears, all of your senses telling you otherwise. Dare to believe that I have overcome the world. In in theological terms, they call this the Christus Victor uh, principle, this idea that Jesus didn't just come as, as savior, he came as victorious. He's victorious over the effects of sin that are in the world. So we see the things that are in the world and we acknowledge them and we mourn them and we grieve them, but we hold on to hope because of this thing that's getting ready to happen in the text. They haven't seen it yet, but as Christians, we do. We do see it. This idea of resurrection means so much more than a wafer and a little cup of wine or juice. This picture that we're seeing here, he's pointing and say, he's pointing out ahead for them. When this resurrection happens, you will know that I have overcome it all. Because the ultimate, the ultimate picture of sin in all of the world is death and I'm overcoming that. And so when you see evidence of sin in the world, brokenness in the world, ultimate death, physical and spiritual, when you see that, when you feel that, when we're overwhelmed by this uh, pandemic, when we're overwhelmed by the injustices, when we're overwhelmed by the loss of loved ones, when we're overwhelmed by the diseases that even affect our own bodies, when we are completely broken and our effort has failed us, be courageous, take heart, 
believe, dare to believe in what Jesus has said. Hold on to this truth. And I'll leave you with this. This is why truth matters. Truth is not something that just satisfies our intellectual uh, curiosity. Truth is not something that is there just to uh, be acquired through purely intellectual assent. Truth is something that is not relative. The truths that Jesus lays out here, they aren't things that, that are just nice to know. They are things that we need to know. There is no peace without that. There is no peace without believing that everything that I see that comes against me, everything that I see that even comes out of me, the things that are broken, all those things have, been, have already been defeated. All those things have been overcome. There is real hope for me on the other side of this. Not because my eyes show me everything that's changing, but because Jesus has promised his truth. He says with his own words, I have come, I have overcome the world. And then later on the other side of eternity, he said, and I've come to make everything new. So truth, this truth is beautiful, but this truth is nothing like beauty. Why? Because truth is not in the eye of the, the, the beholder. Truth is in the hands of the one who holds you. This is our hope. This is what we put our faith in. This is where we find peace. Where do we find this? The principle that's there. What principle does Jesus uh, leave us with? Everything you see in the world that's really broken, that's really hard, it's been overcome. Then there's a peace that should come with that. Because it's been overcome, no matter what comes in my world, no matter what happens, there's a joy and a peace, a, a, a way that the things that are disoriented in my heart become fused together rightly again. There's a peace that's there. Why? Because the principle and that peace leads to a person, Jesus. He's the one that holds us. His truth holds us. His love holds us. And he reconciles us to a father that loves us and will never let us go. So that's our hope right now. May we be a people that holds on to the truth of God through the spirit of God as we bask in the love of God. Let's pray. Father, I feel in my own flesh, in my own skin, I, I feel overwhelmed. I think many of us do. I think every time we turn on the news, we're, we either are so overwhelmed that we just have to turn it off or we just feel like just giving up, or we feel like there's just no real hope coming. We feel like there's no way we can have real peace when all of these horrific things are happening. And yet, God, you tell us that uh, these things are coming. You've told your disciples that there is certain suffering that will come, and yet you say that we can have peace at the same time. You're showing us that there's certain unhappiness that will come, and yet you tell us that we can have a joy that no one can rob us of. So God, I, I pray that you, would, that you would show us the ways in which we try to attain these things by our own effort, by our own fallible effort. I pray that you would show us that, that you would call that out in us, that you would lovingly correct us, lead us to a place where we just lean wholly, totally on who you are and what you've done and what you're doing. 
God, I pray that that would not be something that is just so amorphous that we can't even locate. I pray that we would locate it in the life, the death, the resurrection of your son, Jesus, that we would understand that he came. As he told us, he came from the Father, lived among us, lived this life, showing us what real purity looks like, and then died in our place because of our own sin, because of our own prone to run, our own proneness to, to scatter. And he died on our behalf and he didn't stay dead. He resurrected showing that he has all power over death, hell, the grave. And so if he conquered that, we have no reason to fear. We have no reason to be without joy. We have no reason to be without peace. So God, remind us of the things that give us peace. Give us the power. Give us the faith to take heart. Give us the ability to be courageous. Give us the ability to stand against the things you stand against, even when the world around us stands for it. Lord, let this be done through faith in you, through the ways that you hold us, through the ways that you have given us the ability to seek after you, to love you, because you loved us first. Let us never think this is about our earning, but it's truly about your effort. In Jesus' name, amen. Here, let's receive this benediction of God and listen to these words, this benediction from Jude that we do so often. Listen to the language that's used to show all the things that God does on our behalf, all the things that he holds completely apart from our ability to earn it, from even the effort we put in, right? Listen to these words now. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy. It is to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. And all of God's people, those who are trusting, albeit imperfectly, holding on to that peace, holding on to that joy, being courageous and holding on to that truth, let us all say, Amen. God bless you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.